Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us for episode 583 with Jeff Hayden. He is talking about motivation, what works, what doesn't work. If you'd like a little more of it, how to get it. So here we go. You'll learn one, the one thing that makes any goal feel motivating. Two, the subtle shift in phrasing that makes goals more motivating. And three, a surprising way to boost your willpower. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to albums we've referenced, you might be able to simply tap your podcast app player of choice to expand the episode or show notes description. Or you can visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP583, as in episode 583, to get some of those goodies that way. You can also sign up for the Gold Nugget email list, which gives summary insights from Jeff and all the guests who've gone before him in an email you can read in just under three minutes, as well as archives of the whole vault you can access to see them, even when you're not being emailed that day. That's called the Gold Nuggets at awesomeatyourjob.com. Here's Jeff's story. Jeff Hayden is Inc.com's most popular columnist and one of LinkedIn's most widely followed influencers. His work has appeared on Time, The Huffington Post, Fast Company, Business Insider, Entrepreneur, Yahoo Small Business, MSNBC, and CNBC. People dig his writing a lot, and I think you'll dig what he has to say about motivation here today. Big thanks to Jeff for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. And big thanks to our sponsor, Acorns. Acorns makes it easy to start automatically saving and investing for your future. You don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. Acorns recommends an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. NerdWallet.com, whom I love on these sorts of matters, gives Acorns a whopping 4.7 stars and says, quote, if you want to make the most of your spare change, there's no better place to do that than Acorns. Head to acorns.com slash awesome or download the acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today and we got a legal disclaimer here it may not be representative of all clients tier one compensation provided compensation provides an incentive to positively promote acorns view important disclosures at acorns.com awesome investing involves risk including the loss of principal please consider your objectives risk tolerance and acorns as fees before investing acorns advisors llc acorns is an sec registered investment advisor brokerage services are provided to clients of acorns by acorn securities llc member at finra slash sipc for more information visit acorns.com here is Jeff. Jeff, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks, Pete. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, I'm delighted to be here as well. And we're going to be talking about motivation. So I thought I might start with asking Jeff, what motivates you? Oh, great. <laughs> that is a fun question since I talk about motivation a lot. Probably the biggest motivator for me is seeing some type of improvement, no matter what it is that I do. Mm -hmm. I learned a long time ago that you can have even the silliest or least meaningful goal possible. But if you set it and then you're making some amount of improvement towards it, it feels good and you end up liking whatever it is that you were doing. So that whole idea that you have to find your passion first before you can set off to do something, I think it's kind of well, I think it's helpful, but I don't think it's necessary. So if I can tell a really quick story, mm -hmm. I decided a few years ago when I was writing my book, I, I kind of took a page from the Tim Ferriss playbook and decided it would be good to have a couple of cute hooks for media people to latch onto. So I decided I was going to do 100,000 pushups in a year. Mm -hmm. It works out to 347 a day. Um, I rounded up to 400 just in case I had a bad day. 
the goal was meaningless. I didn't care. There's nothing from it. I wasn't getting paid. It was just something I decided to do. And I didn't particularly enjoy it at first. But within a month, I liked push-ups. I thought of myself as the push-up guy. I had fun trying to be able to do more per set or get the whole thing done quicker or all that other kind of stuff. And I actually came to like it. And it is because I got fairly good at it. Mm -hmm. So I think if you're willing to put the effort in, you can find that you will enjoy doing things that you never thought you would as long as you improve and get better at it and someday get to be good at it. Yeah. So I'm convinced that we like the things that we are good at. You just have to give yourself a chance and the time to get good at it. Yeah, that completely resonates. I remember I was in high school when a speaker, he's still rocking. Fran Kick is his name. He spoke to our marching band and he made this little diagram about, uh, it was, he was in the context of like practicing your musical instrument. He talked about, you know, work, fun, good. As you work, you get good. And as you're good, it's more fun. And then you're more likely to want to work. And I was like, that makes so much sense. I remembered this diagram. Wow. Nearly 20 years later, uh, because it resonates as really true, whether it's something silly, like I think games do this on purpose in terms of, ooh, hey, you're getting better, Jeff. Keep playing us. Yep. Keep tapping away. Yep. I think that's really important for people because like say in your job, you get a new job, you find that it doesn't turn out to be what you hoped it would be, which is almost always the case. There are parts of it that you don't like. And so people automatically think, oh man, I don't really like this. I need to find something different. But if you can put the effort into trying to get better at the things that you don't like, you may find that you really like them and enjoy them. And it may not be the most fulfilling thing you've ever done in your life, mm -hmm. but it always feels good to be good at something. And then when you are good at that, people ask you for advice, people ask you for help, people look up to you as a mentor, that feels good too. So you get this really cool circle of fun from just having put in the time to get better at something. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so your book is called The Motivation Myth. What exactly is the myth that we're busting here? Well, I, I think I've alluded to it already. So since it's fun to drop names, I'll drop a name or two. So I was talking to Venus Williams. There you go. And I said, you know, you're you. So you must have, this must have been your passion your whole life long. And she said, no, not really. You know, dad started us out playing tennis. I thought, man, it would be fun to get better at this. I just kept trying to get better. And as I got better, it felt good. And I just kept trying to get better. And so I, I kind of added that up with I'm lucky enough that I get to talk to lots of really successful people in, in a variety of fields. And I've never found one of them that had that lightning bolt of inspiration somewhere along the way that's like, oh my gosh, I found my passion and I'm set for life and I've got all the motivation I ever need. They all just found something they were interested in, decided to try it, and then put in the time and effort to get better and create this little feedback loop, like you described, of effort equals success equals happiness equals more effort. So I contrasted that with a lot of the people that write to me saying, hey, I'm not achieving my goals. I'm not getting anywhere. Do you have any advice for me? And every one of them was saying, I haven't found my passion. Mm -hmm. The myth to me is that you have to find your passion first when really what it is is you have to just decide, hey, I want to try this. I have a goal. I'm going to figure out a process to get me there. And we can talk about that. And I will get all the motivation I need from my effort as opposed to receiving this motivation from some external source or this lightning bolt that carries you along your way. So the big takeaway is that you can create all the motivation you need if you know how. Okay, well, that sounds exciting. And I wanna definitely get into the process and how that's done. Now, well, first let's talk a little bit more about what not to do. And I noticed 
I noticed a couple of your reviews, and I stalk my guests, in your book on Amazon, some of the reviews and some of your sales copy has some jabs at Tony Robbins. So fun fact, when I was a teenager, Tony Robbins was my hero. I wanted to be just like him. I've since adopted new role models, although I still have learned very valuable things from Tony Robbins. So what's your hot take here? Well, first of all, I did take a few shots at Tony. (laughs) Tony is aware of the shots I took at him. Tony doesn't mind. And in fact, we've collaborated on a few things since then. So I would never consider him a friend. I would never be so presumptuous as to say he's a friend, but I know him and we get along fine and, and I like him and we just had a difference of opinion. So my shot at Tony was one of the things that they at least used to do, I don't know if they still do, but they had the fire walk. Or, oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm a fire not, walker. So you did? Okay. Yeah, I walked it. Then this is perfect. <laughs> so you've got the hot coals and somehow, you know, like that scene from The Office. <laughs> right. By walking across them, that shows you that you can do anything and that sends you off on your way ready to conquer the world. There's a little bit of truth to that, and I'm sure that that works. But the problem is that's a very momentary thing. And it's not something you really put a lot of effort into. All you had to do was kind of say, that's true. you almost had to freeze your brain for a second and just go, Mm -hmm. which that's an important ability to have. But that doesn't help you when you've been working at something for six months or nine months or a year and it's hard and you're struggling and you're hitting roadblocks. And how do you find the perseverance to work through that stuff? That's a whole different kind of a place. So my shot at Tony was basically that if you want that momentary one-off, yes, I finally bungee jumped. Yes, I finally jumped out of a plane. You know, yeah, I walked across the hot coals, not to downplay your experience, because I'm sure it was awesome. Um, But that's not the thing that is going to get you a long-term dose of motivation that you need. It does prove to you that you can do things that you didn't think you could do. Mm -hmm. And that is really important. But those are very kind of one-off momentary things. That's not a long-term solution to a motivation problem. I hear you. So that was my shot at Tony. So it's really not that bad of a shot if you think about it. Oh, certainly. I mean, you could say worse about any of us. You know, it's funny. My fire walking wasn't that much of a challenge because it was raining the day of and my feet were actually pretty cold on the asphalt parking lot of the hotel. I was like, dude, my feet are cold. I want to get on those coals just to warm them up a little bit. How hot was it? I don't know the precise temperature, but no, I mean, how hot did it feel? My experience, well, my experience was it was like, oh, that's kind of toasty, you know. And now, <laughs> if I were starting from a normal right. foot temperature, I don't know, but it was fine. It was fun, and I learned some things. And yeah, I think I, every thought leader <laughs> has things that are more or less applicable sure. to everyone, and that's why we get a lot of voices. So, sure, let's hear now. So, how do we get it going? So, we've got that sort of virtuous cycle. Okay. If I want to have more motivation, uh, what are my first steps? The easiest place to start is with something that you've always wanted to do but haven't. So let's just make something up. Let's say your bucket list is not just to walk on hot coals um, from a tepid fire or parking lot, <laughs> but you uh, you want to run a marathon. Let's use that. So you've always wanted to do so, but you're not even a runner. So the first thing you do is you pick your goal and then you say, okay. I'm going to forget the fact that, you know, if you hearken back to the Monty Python movie, Life of Brian, where the guy says, you know, we're all individuals. And the one guy says, I'm not. Think Mm -hmm. that you're not an individual and realize that there are perfectly good processes out there waiting for you to follow that are almost guaranteed for you to succeed if you put in the work. I'm thinking Hal Higdon's program. Did it right there. Bam. But what ends up happening is that 
people say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm unique, I'm special, I need a bespoke process. You know, there are things that I'm willing to do, there are things I'm not willing to do. And by the time you are done, you've boxed yourself into this thin little slice of effort and program that it's not going to work for you. So the first thing you do is say, I'm willing to do what it takes to get there. And if you're not, then don't even start because you've mm-hmm. picked a hard goal. And the best way to find that process that will work is to forget about the idea of finding somebody to coach you. And I just use Dr. Evil air quotes. Mm-hmm. But instead of coaching you, the key is to find a pro. And by a pro, I mean someone who has done what it is you say you want to do. So if it's a marathon, it's a guy that you know or that you can connect with. And through social media, you can connect with anybody you want to at this point. Um, and just say, hey, admire you respect what you've done. I would like to run a marathon. Here's where I'm starting from. If you were me, what would you do? And what you're going to get from someone like that, if they are truly someone who has done what you want to do, you're going to get a hard process. You're going to get the clear-eyed, cold, hard truth of here's what it takes to go and do that. Mm -hmm. And then instead of whining about it, instead of saying, oh, but that's not going to work for me and I'm special and I'm unique or whatever, you say, okay, that is what I'm going to do. And you give yourself two weeks and you say, for two weeks, I will follow this exactly. Not going to pop my head up and think about changing. I'm not going to worry about modifying. I'm not going to adapt. I'm going to do this. The reason for that is you don't know enough about what it is you're trying to do to be able to make smart revisions early on because you have no clue. And why Mm -hmm. would you? And if you revise, you're probably going to revise to easier which means you're going to be less successful and make less progress. So if you keep your head down for two weeks, invariably you will pop up at the end of the two and you will have gotten a little better, a little stronger, a little faster, a little smarter, whatever it is you're trying to do. You will have seen improvement and you will realize that this works. And by knowing that your effort paid off, we're back to your band speech Mm -hmm. of, hey, I put in the effort. I see some success. That feels good. That makes me happy. That makes me get up tomorrow and do whatever it is I am supposed to do tomorrow. And that's the real key is to forget about the distance between here, which is wherever you're starting, and there, which is this long path that takes you to this goal that you want to achieve, and just focus on what you have to do today. And if you focus on today and you do what's on your list for today, you get to feel good about yourself at the end of the day because you've done what you set out to do. That's motivating in itself and that will keep you making progress. And then you get this endless source of motivation because every day you get to tap into it. Mm-hmm. I know that was a long answer. Oh no, I love it. But it's a simple way to approach it and you can do almost anything that you want to do if you're willing to follow that kind of process. Well, and I think it's intriguing like when you go through those steps of you talk to the pro and then you follow it to a T for two weeks and you observe some levels of improvement, you might say, you know what? I actually am not that charged up about being able to run a little bit more now than I was before right. about uh, what's happening to my body and my energy levels. And as it turns out, running a marathon was cool in theory, but I don't actually care about it yep. and I can let go of it with peace. Yep. And that's an awesome side effect because you do find out, is this really something I will enjoy doing? Because the end result you only get to enjoy that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, actually completing the marathon and getting your medal and having your picture taken and all that other stuff, that's a very small slice. If you don't enjoy the day-to-day, then to me, you're kind of wasting your time because that's a lot of effort to put into this momentary slice of, wow, I get to feel really good about myself. So if you find at the end of two weeks that, yeah, this really isn't for me, not because it's too hard, but because it really isn't that fun and rewarding, then you've done yourself a great service. 
Yeah. Because you haven't wasted six months kind of trying, kind of running, kind of feeling bad about yourself all the time whenever you don't, <laughs> you know, and having that in the back of your mind that, wow, that's something I really want to accomplish. You know, saying no to your goals is as important as choosing the ones that you want to go after. It's a cliche, but it's true. Mm-hmm. People have tons of goals, but they don't really know whether they want to do them or not, or they like the process. So if you find ways to sift through that, then you'll settle on the stuff that you really do like and you really do find enjoyable. And maybe you become a runner for the rest of your life, or maybe you don't. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd love to get your take on, I think a lot of goals fit very neatly with that. And maybe I'm just a quantify, (laughs) a quantifiable kind of a guy, or I like quantification. And so I think, hey, running, hey, I've run farther than I did before. I feel great about that accomplishment. I'm thinking maybe, maybe sales. Hey, I've made these sales calls, maybe writing. I cranked out these blog posts or these pages or this word count. And so I'm wondering about, you know, what if things are a little fuzzy? Like, let's say I want to learn a skill. I have a goal, let's say, to be a great presenter. You know, I want to be confident and dynamic and inspiring. And so I guess that's a little fuzzier in terms of, oh, you know, how do I measure my speaking quality? I guess I would get a panel of judges on recurring intervals. What do I do? It's a good question. And it's, but I think you can still quantify that to some degree because the outcome, first of all, your goal is a little fuzzy, which is why that seems to be hard. Maybe your goal is instead of it being, I want to be a a great confident speaker, maybe your goal is I want to do a TEDx, for instance. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a little more quantifiable, but it carries with it the same qualities that you're looking for if you just want to be a better speaker. Mm -hmm. So maybe maybe you shift your goal into something that is more quantifiable, but then the rest of it, you can make it kind of numbers based. You can say, okay, I'm going to create five different presentations. I'm going to rehearse them X number of times. And you build a process that makes you better, that helps you gain the confidence. Or you say, you know, I'm going to work my way up through the ranks of, you know, my local, any local organization that will have me (laughs) to, hey, I finally got a paid gig or whatever. So you have to find some kind of quantifiable measures of success. That's like people that say, I want to get in better shape. Mm, Okay. What does that mean? Yeah. That's an admirable goal, but it doesn't mean anything. How do you figure out when you've gotten there and what it means to you? And so therefore, how do you create a process that gets you there when you don't even know what it means? Or I'd like to lose a little weight. Well, okay. I'd like to lose 10 pounds is a little easier to work at because you have a process that you can create to get there. So, you know, I've gone all the way around the barn with my answer, but first of all, your goal needs to be sharper and a little more quantifiable. And then you can create a process and have milestones that actually tell you whether you're getting there. Mm, That's handy. And so some of those milestones can just be a matter of output. Like I did these things. Yeah. I said, these are the five books. I read the five books. You know, I did 12 reps of different speeches with videotaping and reviewing of them. And I, I did the videotape and the review of them. So someone's just like, I did the work and I feel great about that. Yep. Or maybe you could say, hey, boss, this is something I'm working on. Can we get some video of before and after? And I'd like for you to tell me this is night and day better for these five reasons. Sure. And that's success. Well, here's another example. Like, say, it, you know, your goal is to be a better leader. Okay. All right. Well, that's a pretty fuzzy one, too. But you can quantify that in different ways. You can say, okay. 
I want to be the leader that gets the most people promoted out of everyone else at my level. That means you're a good developer, that you're putting people in great spots, you're showing that they succeed, you're giving them praise and recognition, you're doing mm -hmm. all those things. Or it could be, you know, numbers-based in terms of productivity or quality or whatever else it might be. Yeah. So you can find anything that you make that seems fuzzy and you can put some quantifiable stuff around it. And then that gives you a structure where you're actually working at the things that will make you that better leader. Well, yeah, and I dig that. And, you know, and I guess I was being a little facetious earlier when I talked about convene a panel of judges. Hmm. You know, but I remember back when I was doing more keynotes on college campuses, I would have everyone fill out a little bit of an accountability form like, hey, Pete, hold me accountable to doing this one thing. So I'd give them a follow-up email. I was like, oh, and by the way, you know, score me zero to five on how effective this was. Hmm. And I could actually see, you know, hey, what percentage gave me the five? Yep. And then I also use similar language to, I guess I'm a little competitive, to what uh, an organization that had many speakers of two college students was using for their program evaluations. And I could say, oh, I could see what dozens of speakers got. And I'm using the same question. Yep. So I could compare against them and then over time. And, and sure enough, it was motivating. I've done the same thing like if I'm speaking at conferences, and I think this is a, a cute little tip that applies to just about anything. I can't be the best speaker in the world, I don't believe. But going into a conference, I can try to be the best speaker that was there. I can be the one that people remember the most or they got the most out of my presentation, whatever it may be. I can try to win, quote unquote, that event. And so if you approach it that way. Now you have a goal. You can look at what other people are doing. You can decide how you're going to stand out. You can make sure that you actually are speaking to what the audience needs and will benefit from. You can do all that kind of stuff. And you can apply that to your job. You can say, all right, I'm not CEO yet, but I can be the best supervisor in my department mm -hmm. and I can stand out there. And then when I get promoted, okay, now I'm going to be the best at this. And it doesn't make you competitive in a bad way. It just makes you evaluate yourself against other people and see where you fall short and see where you can do better. And that gives you something to tangibly do in order to improve your performance. Well, I think we're spending a lot of time here, but it's time well spent because just... <laughs> I'm long-winded, sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm saying I'm, I feel the difference as I'm imagining these goals in their fuzzy form versus their precise form, like get in better shape or run more is a lot different than complete 26.2 miles, yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And likewise, I want to give a great speech is different than I want to receive the highest evaluations at this event or the highest ever evaluations I've personally received or higher than I did last year at the event, like out of whatever, like it gets real sharp and clear. It's like, oh, shoot. Well, then if if I want to pull that off, well, then I better get a really clear understanding of this audience and their needs. You know, just doing something off the shelf yep. probably ain't going to cut it. And it allows you to make the most important comparison of all, which is not to other people, but to yourself and what you were doing yesterday and how you can be today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Because it, it brings that focus back to what do I need to do in order to get to this place that I want to be? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, well, I'm doing better than he is, <laughs> so I must be winning. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I have so many things I wrote down, so it might be a little bit jumpy, but right. uh, here we're going to go. You say there is a question that provides nearly every answer. <laughs> what is this question, Jeff? There, there can be one question that you ask yourself that will answer most of your questions or, or that will help you make most decisions. It comes from Herb Kelleher, the, oh, yeah. the passed away CEO of Southwest Airlines. So he framed every question that employees asked him because you think about the amount of the decisions he had to make in a day. It was probably a zillion. Oh, yeah. So he framed it with, will this make Southwest Airlines the lowest cost provider? 
If it would, great, it's something worth exploring. If it wouldn't, even if it was a seemingly great idea that might be fun, it would take them off in some other direction that didn't drive towards whatever it is they were trying to achieve, and he could say no. So you can make your own one question for whatever it might be. If you want to be a better leader and you see an interpersonal issue between two of your employees, you ask yourself one question, would a great leader ignore this? Nah, you would probably step in. Mm -hmm. So you can frame everything you do as a boss through, would a great leader allow this? Would a great leader do this? So you can do that with anything. If you're trying to lose weight, you know, does a person trying to lose 10 pounds have two pieces of cake after dinner? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> you know, does does a person who wants to be better in band uh, not put in the effort in order to be better, to, you know, play better? That's a dumb example, but I was trying to hearken back to you. Oh, sure. But you can create your one question and it allows you to make a whole lot of decisions based on that's my goal. So if you know your goal, then you can allow that to inform the decisions you make. And then you don't have to have this negotiation with yourself like, you know, oh, but I could have that piece of cake because, you know, tomorrow I'll work out twice as long and I'll burn the calories off. Well, you never do. <laughs> we never win those negotiations. But if you just say, hey, that's not what I do. That's not my goal. That's not part of my thing. It's an easy decision to make. And in fact, it isn't a choice at all because it's who you are, not what you have decided in that moment. Mm -hmm. If you can adopt the identity then everything is easy. Do you have kids? I do. Okay. Do you wake up every day and think, hmm, I really need to be a good parent today? No, you don't. That's not a decision. You just, you're a good, you, you're a good parent. You try to be a good parent. That is who you are. You don't have to make that decision. I know sometimes it's hard. I've got four kids. I understand. But that's part of your identity. Yeah. You know, that's intriguing is that I, I put forth plenty of effort towards that end. And I've never asked myself that question. I've had self-doubt, like, am I really a good dad? Absolutely. What do I need to do differently? <laughs> and that's a tough one. So let's use yeah. that differently. Let's say that, I don't know, there's a moment, if we use the marathon example, for a while, if you're training for a marathon and you haven't run before, you see yourself as a person who has to go out and run. But at some point, if you do it long enough and it becomes part of your daily routine and what you do, you see yourself as a runner. And when that's part of your identity, no longer is it hard to go out for your run because that's just what you do. Mm -hmm. It's not hard for you to take care of your kids because that's just what you do. It's not a decision you have to make every time. If you've worked at doing the right things as a leader, you don't have to sit there and ask yourself a question about what is the right thing to do in this situation because you're a leader and you're going to do what you need to do because that's who you are. Mm -hmm. So if you stick with something long enough and it becomes part of your identity, it's a really easy path to follow. Well, while we talk about identity, I'm curious about where do you come out in the world of discipline, willpower, habits? What do you think about that stuff? I think you can develop greater willpower. I think you can develop greater discipline. I think habits are easy to lose and really hard to create. <laughs> um, and once you've fallen off of a habit wagon, it's really hard to get back on. Uh, but I think the better approach is to find ways so that willpower is not required. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to start my day, I, I work from home and always have, or I have for about 20 years. So I get up, brush my teeth. I, this is more information than you need, but I get up, I brush my teeth, I go downstairs, I sit down, I've already laid out all my stuff for whatever the most important thing is I have to do that day. I did that last night. I have a bottle of water and a protein bar sitting there and I start work and I start work on whatever is the hardest or the most important thing. 
that's just what I do. And I've greased the skids, so to speak, so that it is as easy as possible for me to sit down and get started. So I really don't have to have any willpower because I'm not making any decisions. I'm just walking down, sitting down, opening up, eat while I go. It's all good. If I eased into my day, checked some email, looked around at some news, did a couple goofy things, at some point I have to make that decision to flip the switch. And then I need some willpower in order to get going. But if you if you do some kind of environmental architecture, so to speak, mm-hmm. then you don't need willpower. If you're trying to drink less soda and more water, if you keep three or four bottles of water on your desk and the soda is two rooms away, what are you going to drink? Mm-hmm. You don't have to make a choice because the water's there and you reach for it. So I think you can develop more willpower, but it's a lot easier if you find ways to make it so that the willpower isn't required in the first place. And that mm-hmm. is not as hard as it sounds like it should be. Certainly, yeah, those simple environmental shifts will go a long way. Cool. All right, gotcha. What's that cheesy thing about if you eat on smaller plates, you think you've eaten more food? I mean, it does work. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Well, I think that... Um, There's all kinds of stuff like that. Portion control, totally. Like, if <laughs> if I'm drinking wine... This is... Talk about drink. If I'm drinking wine directly out of the bottle. Oh, yeah, you'll hammer it. <laughs> it goes way faster yep. than if I pour it into a glass first. Yep. And, and uh, if you do short <laughs> pours every time, you'll probably drink less. Oh, sir. Yeah. Yeah. That's not really on topic, but still. Well, so I think, well, portion, I mean, you can talk about your portion in any number of ways, whether it's um, what's on your to do list or your food and drink that's either that you're trying to eat more of or less of. Um, yep. That's great. But I do have one tip, if you don't mind, Mm -hmm. about increasing your willpower. We all have these limits that we've created for ourselves, and it's mostly out of habit, where if you're used to working eight hours, then into that ninth hour feels hard. So an easy way to kind of reset your limits is not to try to go, all right, today I'm going to do eight and a half, but do something wildly past whatever your normal limit is, and it will allow you to reset. So like I like to ride bikes, and so... You know, if I'm averaging 30 mile bike rides, if I one day just say, you know what, I'm going to do a double, I'll go 60. Then when you ride a 30 the next time, it seems really easy Mm -hmm. because in your mind, you've done the 60 recently. So a cool way to develop more willpower is to go way over the top of whatever it is you're doing. You don't want to do it every time because you'll burn out pretty quickly, but that will reset what you think your internal limit is and it will take you a little bit farther. And maybe that's doing something faster, not necessarily longer. It could be all kinds of shifts. And that's actually kind of exciting too when you're in the midst of it. I remember one, there were a couple of times I did, you know, 10, 11 hours of coaching sessions in a day. That's been a while since I've done that. That's a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, it made it seem easy. You know, when there's a moderate, you know, four, five, six, seven hours of coaching in a day. Yep. And so it's been a while since I've done that, such that now (laughs) it would seem very hard. But I remember on those days, it was exciting because it's sort of like, oh boy, we're breaking a record. It's like, can I do it? Can I do it? Play the inspiring music, you know, do a little energizer dance. It's sort of like I had to dig deeper to just figure out how the heck to stay sane and focused and present and energized. And the other funny thing about that was probably the first six or seven hours didn't seem long at all because in your mind, you knew you had a long way to go. So you forgot about the whole, ooh, you know, I'm already two thirds away through my day. I can't wait for the eight hours to be over or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're just in it. Yeah. You know, you settled in, you found your Zen place kind of, and you're just in it. Mm-hmm. And so you've got a term, an extreme productivity day, EPD. Is this sort of (laughs) what we're talking about? Is that a different concept for you? No, it's kind of the same thing where you say, all right, I've got this task. 
And it's going to take me longer than some block of time I would usually associate it with it, but I really want to get it done. So let's say you think it'll take you 12 hours and you just say, you know what, I'm going to gear everything towards that. And that is going to be my day, whatever day it is. And you prep yourself for it and you set some things in place and you let people know you can't be disturbed. And there's a lot of tips that I have with that. But basically what you're doing is you're saying for this one day, I am going to knock this thing out and you know, you, you create little breaks for yourself and you make sure you're hydrated and you make sure you get snacks along the way and all those other things. Um, but the idea is that every once in a while, you take something that has been kind of nagging at you, you haven't been yet, been able to get done and you just say, for this day, that's what I'm going to finish. And it feels awesome when you're done. Mm-hmm. And that also ratchets up your productivity expectations because you realize that if you put your mind to it, you can. Mm-hmm. Which sounded a little Tony Robbins-ish, I realize, <laughs> but, but that's okay. Well, and yeah, and it has all sorts of follow-on effects in terms of you feel great about your just general self-confidence and ability yep. to to rock and roll. Uh, well, awesome. Jeff, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention about motivation before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Uh, no, let's do some quick ones. Let's hear about your favorite quote. So my favorite is from Jimmy Spithill. He was a, a America's Cup winning skipper some years ago. Team Oracle, I believe it was. And his quote is, rarely have I seen a situation where doing less than the other guy is a good strategy. (laughs) And I like that because I'm not as smart as most people. I'm not as talented as most people. I'm not as connected, all those other things. But if I want a competitive advantage, I can always try to outwork you. Mm -hmm. Well, what I also like is that it's rarely. It's like occasionally in workaholic burnout situations, Mm -hmm. that is the better move, Mm -hmm. but rarely. (laughs) Yep, exactly. So that's that's the quote I like. Mm -hmm. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? One of my favorites is, it's kind of hard to describe, but but if I was going to sum it up, it's that if you talk about your intention, let's say you've set, you've decided you're going to do something and you talk about it to other people, you are significantly less likely to actually accomplish what it is you say that you are going to do. And I have a, a quote that I wrote down. It's, it's uh, from this researchers. When other people take notice of an individual's identity-related behavioral intention, sounds like a researcher wrote it, <laughs> this gives the individual a premature sense of possessing the aspired-to identity. So if I say that I'm going to ride a, run a marathon and you and I are talking about it. Good for you, Jeff. You're amazing. Wow. I know. I, inside. That's so great, Jeff. <laughs> I feel like I have already done it. And so therefore, I've gotten some of the mental kick out of it and I'm much less likely to do it. So if you feel like you need some people to hold you accountable, like you need an accountability buddy or you want the peer pressure to keep you on your task, don't talk about the goal other than just very briefly. Talk about the process you're going to follow and have them hold you to that. So instead of, Mm -hmm. hey, how's it going towards your marathon? It should be, hey, you said you were going to run three times this week, did you? Right. And hold me accountable to my process because process is going to get you there. Goal isn't going to get you there. All right. Thank you. And how about a favorite book? Uh, I'm going to go with two. One is So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. It's about probably six or eight years old, but I really like it. And it, if for no other reason, then it kind of helped inform some of the stuff that I wrote about, um, where it's all about process and identity. And you can learn to find passions through doing things as opposed to having to discover them. And the other one is The Talent Code by Daniel Coyle. Mm-hmm. Do you watch Billions, the Showtime show? You know, not yet. 
Oh, it's good coming up more and more. I'm going to have to take a peek. You should. I'm not, I don't love this season as much, but the first three especially are really good. But anyway, the, one of the characters on there actually was reading that book last night. And I emailed mm-hmm. Daniel and said, hey, did you know that was coming? And he said, no, but it's really cool. So <laughs> everybody's, we had um, Kim Scott who wrote Radical Candor yep. on the show. Yep. And then I was watching Silicon Valley and they kept referencing. It's like, oh, what's yep. Kim have to say? And so I went on Twitter. So anyway, those are fun moments. Um, (laughs) when us semi-famous people (laughs) have moments of, of TV style fame. It is always fun to see. It always, (laughs) it is always fun to see people, you know, or have talked to, or somehow have some sort of small relationship with out there somewhere. And you go, Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's like you live through them a little bit. And how about a favorite habit? Uh, I already talked about that. That's the start my day with the most important thing that I need to do and prep for it the night before because all the decisions are gone. And the cool thing about that is when you get it done, instead of saying, wow, I'm finished and you've lost motivation, you've actually gained it because you knocked off that tough thing and it creates momentum that takes you into the rest of your stuff. Right on. And is there a particular nugget you share that you're known for? People quote it back to you frequently? Quote it back to me? (laughs) No, but I have something Mm -hmm. that I, I just read recently that I really like. It's called the Ben Franklin effect. And so the idea is that if you think someone doesn't like you particularly well and you'd like to kind of bridge that relationship or make it better, ask them to do you a favor. Mm -hmm. And typically they will find that they like you better, which sounds totally counterintuitive. Uh, Psychologists say it's because there's cognitive dissonance involved, which means that you couldn't have done me a favor if you didn't like me. So somehow you reconcile that in your mind. I think it's because when you help someone and they appreciate it, you feel better and you like that. We always like to help people and be appreciated and that makes us like people more. But either way, if you have somebody you don't think you're getting along with very well, oddly enough, ask them to do you a favor, then thank them profusely and they will probably end up liking you better. So that means if uh, you ask me for a favor, (laughs) then I'll know that there's a problem with our relationship. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I feel like it's a favor that you're on the show. And maybe you Uh, feel like I'm doing you a favor because uh, exposure and platform. Maybe it's mutually beneficial. Yeah, there we go. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Um, I write for Inc. Magazine. So if you go to Inc.com, I've got several thousand articles there probably. Um, I'm a LinkedIn influencer, which is the only time I'll ever be on a list with Richard Branson and Bill Gates and those folks. Mm-hmm. And so I do accept connection requests. I appreciate it if you say you want to connect and then the very next thing you say to me is, would you buy this from me? Then that's not really my favorite thing. Oh, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not my favorite thing, but nonetheless, I do connect with people and I will certainly talk to them there. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me any final challenges or calls to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Hmm. I guess I would go back to what I said earlier, where whatever you are doing, try to find some slice of that that you can be the best at. And say you're going to a meeting, you don't necessarily have to quote unquote win the meeting, but maybe you can be the most prepared or maybe you can be the one with the most research at your disposal, or maybe you can be the one that helps kind of keep the conversation on track or whatever it is. Find some way to be the best person at something, at whatever it is you are doing. And that habit will lead you to a lot of success. Yeah, I like that a lot. And sometimes, you know, you can just be the person who seems the most engaged in listening in a meeting. Like that gives a great energy. Yep. In terms of you're not checked out on your phone. It also makes you feel better about yourself. Like I, I ride bikes a lot and I have people that I ride with sometimes that are professional cyclists which means that I'm in a world of hurt for the whole time. 
and sometimes can't keep up. And so I know that I can't do the most pulls from the front. There's a lot of stuff I can't do, but I can be the guy who always has a couple spare tubes, a couple CO2 cartridges mm-hmm. in case somebody has a flat. <laughs> I got a couple extra bottles of water. So I can be the little Sherpa of sorts mm-hmm. on the group ride and I can do that. And that makes me feel better about the fact I'm there. Gives me a little sense of belonging in that way and and actually makes it a little bit more fun. So I get to be that guy. So I'm winning that one small thing. But when you do that, you feel a little better about yourself. And isn't that what we're all looking for? Well, absolutely. And it's great for your own confidence. I'm thinking, yep. of, once again, I'm going back to college keynoting stuff. It's like maybe there's an event that has a lot of, you know, top-notch speakers or like super famous uh, heads of state, whatever, you know, speak at that school. And I think, you know, I might not be the greatest speaker that you see this year, the most famous or inspiring, but by golly, I am the most equipped to resolve tech headaches. (laughs) I got every adapter you could conceive of and some cables and some transmit. So I'm going to be the AV guy's best friend. That's that's right. The AV guy's like, do you have the adapter? I got every adapter. <laughs> yeah, I, and I look at that. Sometimes I'll be invited to things or, and I, I just say, you know what? I'm going to be the lowest maintenance person they have ever worked with. I'm going to be the least needy, the least mm-hmm. babysat, the least whatever, the most accommodating. That's going to be me. And even if I'm not perfect at everything else, that I can do. Mm-hmm. That's great. So which is just like you. somewhere gets you that confidence and the feel good and, yep. and momentum. Love yep. it. Awesome. Well, Jeff, this has been a treat. I wish you much luck and motivation in all your adventures. Thank you, sir. And I appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for doing it. Thanks for your prep. It was really fun. I really love Jeff's story about the push-ups and generally the concept of the virtuous cycle and how you just keep trying to challenge yourself. Like you said, can I do more push-ups in a set? Can I do them faster, et cetera, to keep it interesting and challenging and fun? And that harkens back to some Mihai Cheek sent me high stuff. We've heard a few times about flow states being not so easy. You're bored, not so hard. You're freaked out, anxious, overwhelmed. And it reminds me of a funny story. I'm thinking about my buddy Ronnie in grade school at Holy Family in Danville, Illinois, where we were called into the principal's office. Uh-oh, Miss Peggy Croy wanted some words for the two of us. And <laughs> this time we had no idea. We'd cause a little bit of trouble from time to time. But this time we genuinely couldn't think of anything bad that we had done. And we thought, well, oh, well, maybe this is something good. And then I think she might have said, I don't know, maybe I'm embellishing the memory fails, something like, I think we all know what this is about. She probably didn't say that. I'm just inventing the story in my brain to make it more dramatic and interesting. And so apparently we had been engaging in unsportsmanlike conduct when we were playing our Scholastic Bowl matches against other teams. This is sort of like a quiz bowl game where it's a little competitive activity, school against school, where a team of five will sort of buzz into trivia and school academic type questions. And anyway, it was dorky, but fun. And we were really good at it (laughs) at the time. We one time beat the state champion, but not when it counted in competitive play. And we were a small school. So um, those were like the glory years, I'm told. Anywho. Ronnie and I happen to have the knack for uh, random trivia. <laughs> and so us and our team 
we were doing very well uh, that year. And what would happen was when we were getting significantly ahead of the other team, we, like Jeff, would say things like, all right, guys, let's double their score. Hey, just four points away from tripling their score. Come on, guys. Do you think we could finish with 300 points, which ends the match in the first half? Let's go for it. (laughs) You know, so. Anyway, that was unsportsmanlike because we were very obnoxious in the fact that, okay, we were winning and we were gleeful about winning and we kept trying to, uh, it seemed like we were sort of rubbing that in their faces. And, and that was, you know, good note. Thank you, Miss Croy, about sportsmanship. I think we had learned an important lesson and self-awareness and how you're coming across and being kind to the other team. So good lessons there. But what's so funny is that was completely lost on us. We were so fixated on increasing the challenge and the motivation that that brought us because just winning was too easy a lot of the time. So fun tidbits <laughs> that uh, Jeff reminds me of. A blast from the past. Uh, keep challenging yourself. Enjoy the virtuous cycle of the upward motivation that flows as the work, fun, good triangle is propelling you into great things. Don't rub it in other people's faces, <laughs> Miss Croy would recommend. So again, those show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP583. If you haven't already, I recommend you push subscribe to catch new episodes automatically, such as our very next one. Francesca Gino is a professor at Harvard, and she has some perspective on why it can often pay to break the rules, to be a rebel, if you will, at work and in life. I hope to catch you there and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.